You're listening to New York City's Pirates of the Air on the BBC World Service. I'm David Gorin. As the workday winds down, I sit at my listening post in Flatbush, Brooklyn, tuning in to a clandestine world of unlicensed radio stations, a cacophonous sonic wonder of the city. As listeners begin to arrive home, dozens of secret transmitters switch on from rooftops in immigrant enclaves. These stations are often called pirates for their practice of commandeering an already licensed frequency. Inside the makeshift security of cramped sheds and broom closets, with perhaps an old metal bucket as an early warning system, pirate radio operators tinker behind the scenes. These rogue stations are hidden away from nosy neighbors, and more crucially, from enforcement agents working for the Federal Communications Commission, the dreaded FCC. They're trying to find pirate stations and shut them down. Thanks to a kind of safety in numbers, the stations evade detection and take to the air, blanketing their neighborhoods with the sounds of ancestral lands blending with the new home. Loud and intensely local, a homegrown movement of illegal radio stations thrives. Gotta say good evening, good afternoon, going out to all the listeners all over. If you're driving around enjoying the music, take your time on the road. New York City's pirates are an analog anomaly. Their radio waves drifting a quarter century deep into the digital age. Drawn from the culture of the street, vivid soundscapes emerge from tangled clouds of invisible signals nurturing immigrant communities struggling for a foothold. Oh, the street is like a fire, like a fire. Show no sympathy, oh no. Volume radio, survivor. 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 Again, again, again. One, two. Spice man passing through. Hey. I'm gonna tell it to you, yes. Sweet reggae music, Yagayo. We, we from the West Indies. We grew up with the cool, cool breeze. Oh, hear me now, hear me now. They call Babylon's Bimsha. Grenada, they call it Spice Island. Trinidad, they call it TNT. St. Lucia, they call it Lucian. Jamaica, they say Jam Dong. America, they say American. <laughs> so, do you listen to radio from home here? Yeah, man, yeah, man. What do you hear? Right here in New York City, you have a thousand Caribbean stations. Join the revolution. revolution. The radio revolution. 104.7. How you bad, sir? How you bad, sir? How you rude, sir? New York City want to taste all that. Vibes of radio to just too real and dangerous. Number one, cause you know we dangerous. El Popotazo Radio Show. Here we go. La emisora oficial. Bachata, cumbia, merengue. Porque son como yo, alegre. Y la número uno de los latinos del mundo. 
What's your name? Angel Lopez. I work in 1703 Foster Grocery Store, and I always listen to the radio. Though. I think it's an alternative from the regular stuff that you get every day, even though it's illegal. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, it's still there. My name is John Luke. I listen to some radio because it's a sense to know exactly where you are, and that's why I'm telling you in Flatbush when I'm listening to the radio station, I'm trying to get the music from the environment where I live, which is basically giving back to me with the Asians, the Trinidad, and the Jamaican one. So I got it. Yo, yo, mon boucler, mais c'est Walls et Mix, ma coûte la radio I'm Dr. Reverend Saunders. Radio is still wonderful. Start listening to the radio. You draw your own picture. You hold it faster than, well, you just lay back. Okay, the TV will show me. See, whereas, if you do it from the radio, there's so much things you can imagine. There's so many things you can put together. Vous écoutez la voix du peuple. Vous écoutez la voix du peuple. These underground unlicensed or pirate stations have been around for as long as there's been radio. American-born to a Haitian immigrant family, Joan Martinez is an avid listener to the Creole language pirates and has been an occasional broadcaster on a few of them. I came across it at a very young age. I was probably like maybe three, four, or five years old. And there was this really popular station back in the late 80s called Radio Guinea. And it was based in Brooklyn. Nobody knows where it was. There are suspicions. But all I know is from Friday night all the way to Sunday night, you would just hear a series of these stations every weekend, and it would be the place where you could listen to the latest in Haitian pop music, Haitian rap music. It was also the news. Like, my parents and their friends would all sit around the radio, and they would just be politicking in the living room, getting really loud, dancing, singing along, that sort of thing. It was just like a meeting ground, and the radio was guiding it. Pirate stations in New York City trace back at least to the 1960s, but the current heavily immigrant-focused sound began to surge about 25 years ago. Corporate media consolidation and skyrocketing rates for airtime squeezed radio programmers in West Indian communities off of the legal airwaves. They soon discovered a new generation of cheap transmitters imported from China, creating a critical mass of unlicensed stations that crowded onto the FM dial. To the casual ear, the result can sound at times like audible chaos, driving licensed stations and their listeners to distraction. In Flatbush, I can hear as many as three dozen a night. To make sense of it, it helps to take a portable radio in hand to the heart of the pirate radio neighborhoods. If you happen to have like a regular radio, like a classic antenna that you have to adjust either this way or that way or a boombox or something. Joan Martinez. Chances are like once the sun goes down, all of a sudden everything that was like static throughout the day, you hear music, you hear voices. Sometimes it's in Russian, sometimes it's Hebrew, sometimes it's a preacher. I want to talk about the power of God. I want to talk about the anointing. I want to talk about the Holy Ghost. When you have the Holy Ghost, you can't go through stuff. My God. Sometimes it's Haitian, Spanish, Jamaican. 
West Indian. It doesn't matter. It's just like this whole new spectrum. And there's just something so cozy about that. You know, because you feel like when you're on the other end of the spectrum, at the disco with high hopes. it's like, yeah, this is so American and this is so popular and yay. But then you go into that other side and it's like, ooh, another perspective. Oh, people are talking. What are they talking about? When all is peace and safety, when the water's calm, everything on the level, everything cook and curry, you only see one side of a person, one facet of them personality, and one aspect of a situation. But the it's like the radio becomes like the second world, you know, and then you hear the overmodulation, you hear the DJs, you hear... Come here, come here, come here. And I really feel like the FCC really screwed the pooch on that. No offense, but I just feel like the intent is to kind of serve the community. And because you're not, because you're relying on corporations, it's like you're missing out like this whole other spectrum. You're missing out on that. Sometimes you want to hear a voice on the radio. If you're listening to all my Spanish people out there, Buenos tardes! Como esta? Come on, praise the Lord with me. Yes, indeed. See, si, senor. 漫画当中的 X 特遣队成员众多，目前官方尚未啊给出电影详细的介绍。外媒猜测呢，啊是这个。Three, two, one, two. Yes, I have four children, three cats, and two dogs. Welcome to America. A lot of stuff is happening with immigrants. But that's the problem. We have Trump doesn't want to welcome KKK Russian. Trump doesn't want to welcome people to America. And welcome to America. That's hey. Why shouldn't you be welcome? Because you're black. Because you're brown. Because you're gay. Because you're Jamaican. Because you're Trini. Because you're Nigerian. Why shouldn't you be welcome to America? That's the big problem here. Hey, I tell you the word that we caught in all them dubs. It's the QD, my producer. A hooligan, a hooligan. The number one producer in the land. Pirate radio culture shifts as you move around the city. In Brooklyn, most of the stations target the large West Indian community. Latino pirates dominate in Queens and the Bronx. And the working-class towns in New Jersey have a mix. Boston, Massachusetts, and Miami, Florida, also have similar high concentrations of pirates. The communities where pirate radio is common are largely working-class and have traditionally had limited access to the legal airwaves. The cost for starting or buying a license station can run well into multiple millions of dollars. When you've got pirate radio broadcasters. Today, they are using the same frequencies or closely adjacent frequencies to licensed broadcasters, and they're preventing those broadcasters from being able to reach all of their audiences. And licensed broadcasters have a lot of audiences that want to hear what they're putting out over the air. Rosemary Harold is the head of the Enforcement Bureau for the Federal Communications Commission. The whole idea of licensing for broadcasting dates back to the 1920s. Shortly after it became available. 
Lots of people were enthusiastic about it. The government at one very early time in the 20s handed out a license basically to anyone who asked. And very quickly, it turned out that too many people were trying to broadcast, particularly in big cities, at the same time on the same frequencies or right adjacent frequencies. And all of that causes interference, which means that nobody was getting their message out in a clear way, at least not to everybody that they were trying to reach at the same time. So the commission was formed, and the government decided through statute, so Congress was involved, that we would do licensing and give out licenses to fewer people than actually wanted to broadcast in order to make sure that at least some stations were clear in every community across the United States. The focus really was on the listeners because what had happened before licensing became what we know as today was that listeners weren't able to consistently hear radio broadcasts well. And now we're kind of in a modern iteration of that, I suppose. Some media watchers think that a bias against diverse voices was baked into the Communications Act of 1934, the legislation that mandates licenses for broadcasters. John Anderson is a scholar and historian of pirate radio in the United States. What it did was it awarded the clearest channels and the highest powers to stations that were commercial. And in some cases, policies were created and implemented that said, we do not want to give stations to specific communities like churches or unions or things like that, because that would seem as if the government was privileging some types of speech over others. We have this whole First Amendment, which says we can't regulate it. But by privileging commercial speech over non-commercial speech, and by basically saying, if you are a special interest, we will not award you a license, you create the conditions for there to be dissension over the media policy, which will lead people into radical actions like putting stations on the air without permission. Joan Martinez. Right now, we're standing on the corner of Clarendon Road and Nostrand Avenue in the heart of Brooklyn. It's like a little Haiti, like a cluster of, um, you know, Haitian Americans. You know, they live here, they work here, they shop around here. And it's also where a dozen Creole-language pirates aim their programs. The persistence of New York City's pirate broadcasting scene is fueled in part by the historic importance of radio for West Indians and Latinos. For Haitians in particular, their reliance on radio stems from a strong oral tradition and a hunger for news that wasn't controlled by the Papa Doc and Baby Doc Duvalier regime, which ruled Haiti from 1957 to 1986. The peasant in Haiti, why he's working on the plantation in his farm, you know he has a transistor. At that time we had two kinds of transistor. One was Sam and the other was, we say, Trident or Trident. Dr. John Eddie St. Paul is the director of the Haitian Studies Institute at the City University of New York. And many peasants, they prefer to don't have money to buy tobacco, to smoke, but they will have money to buy the battery, you know, to put in the transistor because they want to listen what Voice of America in Creole, we say, la voix de l'Amérique, what voix de l'Amérique have 
to say about the politics in Haiti. You know, I think many of those people, because remember, the first generation of migration in the U.S., you know, the big migration was during the 1960s. And many of those people, the culture of transistor was part of their everyday life. So they still maintaining the culture of transistor. For them, you know, having a radio station is very important. In Flatbush, it's not uncommon to spot a suspect antenna on a rooftop or to hear the pirates on radios and shops. But the people who run the stations keep a lower profile, and few want to talk on the record. On a hot summer Sunday, I was out working on this story, and a man selling cold water outside a church noticed me recording and called me over. He thought I was covering recent unrest in Haiti over a hike in gasoline prices, which I hadn't heard about from the mainstream media. My name is Joseph. Everybody called me Haitian. Because I'm a pure Haitian. One thing I am interested in But the is thing is this, before we talk, we'd like to see your ID. Yeah. We want to make sure What I'm doing, I'm making a story about all the radio stations in Flatbush. And many of them actually don't have a license. Thank you. So how important are these stations to you for getting the facts? They are very, very important in, in our communities. Because certain news, the main media will not give it to us and they will not care. So from those videos, this is how we get our information. The job that we're doing in this community, we know we're taking a risk, but most of the video that you see in the community is not we're making money. We're putting money out. To help the community. I'm a member of one of the radio. We're putting money out. We, we don't make money from the radio. Oh, so you're a member of yeah. one of the stations? Yeah. Do you want to tell me which one? Comedy. 90.5? Yeah. It's one of the most popular ones. What's your role with the station? Are you one of the owners? There is no owners in comedy. It's a bunch of us, a bunch of young guys. We have to do something positive for our community and for back home also. Right now, at this moment, Tell the Marine is in Haiti to protect their interests. And behind this, we don't know what's next. We don't know what's next. CNN don't show you this. Yes or no? No, it's not in the news. BBC don't show you this. So what we do, we have people in Haiti that will call us and tell us what's going on and will send us pictures. This is how we get our information and bring it to the people. So this is why that even though you get taken off the air... Because they don't want the truth to come out. But you'll go back on. I still have family over there. My mother's still there. So I have to know what's going on. So the other people have to know what's going on to their families. Several miles away from Flatbush, near the Brooklyn-Queens border, there's a pirate station tucked away in the basement of a bodega, a small corner store. 
we mix in here in this community we mix we cannot focus in only in dominicans or only in puerto ricans because we mix there's a lot of mexicans a lot of equatorian colombians so we all latin so that's what we're trying to do you know something different and something like the people can listen to it so that's why we play a little bit of everything so they they keep listening to the radio station and then that's how we come in and we talk about the community though like other stations they connect to news from home their main focus is firmly on the revival of their community, which was devastated by drugs and crime in the 1990s. I'll call them Radioactivista. They agree to talk with me as long as I don't reveal their real name and the exact location of the station. Was there a specific incident in your life that made you think, I have to reach out? Well, I see a lot of shootings, a lot of, you know, robbery, and it was a mess. I met this guy right here. He worked with the community and I said, I want to do something. This is what I can do on the radio station. So we start working together and it's a lot of change. You can tell the difference. Before we make a meeting, it's two or three people. Now, 20, 30, and it keeps growing. And a lot of people call too. They ask for information and stuff like that for the community. I'm one of the DJs, but my part is more conversational with the people, their music. So. I'm one of the guys that said how it is the stuff. Um, sometimes, yes, I'm a really tough guy. And that's one of my main roles in there is announcement or say the stuff how it is because that's how the community needs to listen it. We can bring it over to the community flowers when it's no flowers. Radio Activista runs about four hours of live programming a day. The rest of the time, the music plays nonstop. Music from home is an essential part of any local pirate station's content especially on the weekends, when they stay on straight from Friday night to Monday morning. Radio Elegance, la reine de la voix antillaise à New York, son programme C'est-à-tiers, dédié à... A lot of these stations, especially the Hastings stations. Joan Martinez. They have such an extensive music library that they will play songs. A song will come on the radio. Fitner, fanatique de Mont-Jean-Baptiste. And then all of a sudden my mom is like, oh my God, your grandma used to have this record and she'd play it every Saturday. And then all of a sudden she starts swaying and then she'll start singing the thing word for word for word. Now she's transported back to being on the island with the big radio that's a piece of furniture in the living room and thinking about when her friends are over and they're having like a little house party and their people are chatting, little drinks are flowing about, you know, my grandmother milling about in like a gorgeous dress, you know, serving people. So it's kind of like that whole nostalgic era that unfortunately was probably lost because of the whole political turmoil in Haiti. So it's kind of like hearkening back to a good time, to a simpler time, a better time, a more carefree era. After the news, I'll be hearing more from New York City's Pirates of the Air here on the BBC World Service. The documentary is just one of our BBC World Service podcasts. A few weeks ago, we were telling you about two new podcasts, The Hurricane Tapes and Fall of the Shah. Well, I've got news for you about both of them. The Hurricane Tapes is an investigation using previously unheard audio recordings, telling the story of Ruben Hurricane Carter. He was a celebrity boxer, tried, convicted and released twice for a triple murder he always denied committing. Fall of the Shah 
is our brilliant, dramatic retelling of the 1979 Iranian Revolution, with consequences that are still being felt throughout the world today. All the episodes have now been released. They're both available in full, so you can listen to every episode whenever you want, one after the other. Just search for The Hurricane Tapes and Fall of the Shah wherever you find this podcast. Now, let's return to the documentary. Welcome back to New York City's Pirates of the Air on the BBC World Service. I'm David Gorin. New York City's bumper crop of pirate radio stations makes for a very public, if slightly off-kilter, community radio service, transmitted directly into the neighborhoods of immigrants and tight-knit religious groups. By contrast, their predecessors were much fewer in number and more discreet. They had to be, in the face of aggressive enforcement from the FCC. A New York Times article from 1982 counted about 12 sprinkled around the city. It's new. It's now. It's hot. 91. The pirates of the 1970s and 80s materialized unexpectedly in radio's ether. This is the Falling Star Network. They'd sidle up alongside official stations, like an uninvited and inebriated guest crashing a swanky party. In the dull and commonplace occurrences of day-to-day radio, there's one radio station that will definitely stand out. That's WFRB 87.9 in Brooklyn. Instead of slick, professional, commercial, hypey radio, you'll get bad, distorted, buzzy-sounding, lousy-sounding, muffled, amateur, get-your-ego-off radio. In other words, a completely unique experience. Ladies and gentlemen of the world radio system, this is WKOB Radio. I am Alan Weiner, and in my early days, in the 1960s, and very early 1970s, I was engaged in free radio activity in the Yonkers, New York, New York City area. I was just a high school kid that wanted access to the airwaves because back then there was no internet, there were no smartphones, there were no personal computers. The media was basically AM, FM, and television. And for a bunch of teenagers that we were, We had virtually no way of getting access to the media, which was mostly controlled in the New York City area by businesses and large corporations. Many, many young people were marching in the streets protesting the war in Vietnam, protesting a government intrusion in everyone's lives. And young people had a lot to say and a lot of opinions, but no outlets. And I said, well, let me go investigate this radio thing. I found out early that you needed a license from the Federal Communications Commission, but I quickly dispatched that as an idea because I called up the FCC one time, and they said, oh, kid, you need at least a million dollars. Forget about it. Went to the Yonkers Public Library and took out everything I could on radio, transmitters, antennas. 
maybe I can build one of these radio stations. Won't hurt anyone, won't interfere with anyone, and I have a free speech right under the First Amendment of the Constitution to be able to express myself through the media in this country. This is how young people think. Welcome, my friends, to WXNN FM. I'm a member of the Falling Star Network along with WKOV, and its sole purpose is for the enjoyment and presentation of entertainment and other truthful information. The stations were doing very well. We're on the air pretty much 24 hours a day. And then at 5.30 in the morning on August 12th, in the year of our Lord, 1971, I had all these federal agents pile into my bedroom and wake me up, basically saying, Alan Weiner, get up. You're under arrest. And we went before a federal judge, and we pleaded guilty. We did, because we were in violation of the Communications Act of 1934, as amended. The judge looked at us and said, do you realize what you did? And I said, yes. You know, we were very respectful, and he didn't fine us, and he didn't give us any jail time, but he released us with a year's probation. He encouraged us to seek out legal avenues to be on the radio. We did, and that's the story. In the wake of the bust, others stepped in the way of the skull and crossbones, but not without taking some precautions. Dan Lewis, using the pseudonym Marconi, was a staff member on Stereo 9 FM, managed by his friend Randy Ripley. I remember there were stretches where the station would go on four nights a week. I remember there were stretches when the station wouldn't be on for months. There was no regular schedule other than the Johnny Carson rule. Following the Carson rule meant, don't go on the air until The Tonight Show, hosted by Johnny Carson, ended at 1 a.m. We are N-I-N-E-F-M New York. At this time, Stereo 9 FM begins another broadcast. Stereo 9 FM operates on a center carrier frequency of 91.9 megahertz and uses a process of frequently frequency-modulated multiplex stereo. We'd like to invite you now to stay tuned, listen, and enjoy Stereo 9 FM. Randy felt that he was least likely to cause any television interference to any local neighbors who might complain which could lead to an FCC investigation. Once Carson was over, you could bet that 90% of the people who keep day schedules are asleep by then. The 10% who are still awake at that hour are probably your potential audience. The other reason, frankly, was, well, uh, the FCC office in New York typically didn't work midnights. So that was another way of avoiding them. So what did it feel like to be on the air? What did it feel like before you went on the air? Sometimes there was a little bit of beer involved. Sometimes there was a little whiskey involved. Sometimes there wasn't. So the mood of the program could go from serious to trivial, or it could change over the course of the broadcast. Where 9FM was maybe different is that the politics behind it was still driving it. Right now, we're on location from in front of Madison Square Garden. I'm Edwin Armstrong. I'm Marconi. And I'm Mr. Tim. And we're here to look at sort of the offbeat side of the Democratic National Convention this weekend. Yes, if this be yellow journalism, let us be kings. Stereo 9FM managed to avoid being caught by the FCC for the seven years they were on the air. 
They stopped broadcasting in 1987 to join in on a new project with Alan Weiner. He'd been running legit stations in Maine, but began to turn his attention back to New York. I still had this burning desire to serve the New York City area. I decided to, again, look into somehow, legally, putting a radio station in the New York City area. And the cheapest, most interesting way that I could figure out how to do that was to do the model that was being done in Europe with the offshore pirate stations off of England. And I decided to buy a ship put a radio station on it. We dropped anchor uh, in July of 1987 off the coast of Long Island, New York. We proceeded to begin broadcasting free speech, uncensored radio to the New York City area on 1620 AM, 103.1 FM, and international shortwave. Okay, well, if you've just tuned in, this is Radio New York International, the station dedicated to peace, love, and understanding run and operated by a group of individuals that want to bring free radio back. Okay, I don't know where it went, but we're bringing it back anyway. <laughs> I mean, it was short-lived. I mean, we were only on the air for about four or five days, and they came out again, you know, with all kind of federal agents and Coast Guard ships and guns and all that to shut down our free speech radio station. Of course, we were detained. We weren't really arrested because we didn't violate any law because we were in international territory on a foreign registered vessel. And uh, we were enjoined by the court not to broadcast until all the legal issues were settled. But effectively, uh, we realized that offshore radio was just not going to work off the coast of New York City. Instead, Wiener began broadcasting on shortwave radio. Many of the local pirates who had worked on Radio New York International followed him there. Uno, dos, tres, this shift created space for a more diverse range of pirate voices across New York City. Mera, mi gente. Señoras y señores, del mundo, ya tu In the early 90s, a new station, Nasty Radio WJQR, started popping up on 91.9, the pirate's favorite clear frequency. The station was run by an unemployed neon sign maker named Richie. On the air, he went by Dr. X. All right, more music by DJ Centronic. DJ Dave Centronic on Nasty Radio WJQR with Dr. X. Ugh. Dr. X cast aside the usual pirate radio code. Nasty Radio came on early and ran late almost every day. He sold time slots to hip hop and dance music DJs. One of them was Dave Sintron. I learned a lot of things through Dr. X. We used to laugh because we used to say he can make a transmitter out of pots and pans. That's how smart he was. You know, he would go to Radio Shack and he would buy all kinds of gadgets and build stuff. And then he got comfortable with me and, you know, he showed me the transmitter. So I was very fascinated with the whole pirate radio. And he taught me some things and then he sold me the transmitter. For security reasons, I'm broadcasting from an undisclosed location because the subject of tonight's American expose is terrorism. It was a really big, clunky transmitter. It was like all tubes. You know, once I bought that, then I put it up in an apartment that I had over here in Windsor Terrace. 
We put the antenna up, and then I started, and then I decided to call it, you know, since we knew we were doing something that was bad, we decided to call it WBAD Radio. Yeah, this is Badass Radio. Yo, what's up, Cause? What's up with those radio stations playing love songs all day long? Hey, yo, I never knew love like that before. And I don't want to know love like that no more. I'd rather hear that ill shit that's in trying to be plain. We don't play no commercials, so son, what you saying? Bad radio, pirate station, not creation. Sponsors and censors, we got no relation. Never break up like Jodeci and Devante. Centronics, Mystic, Carlito, Brigante. Sinister cause, D.O.T., Vigilante. If you want to battle, let's make a betting up the ante. We could get ill for real and still go to heaven. Bad radio, Sundays, 5 to 11. Back in the 90s, you couldn't get your music played anywhere. I saw an opportunity to play some of this independent music, the stuff that the radio stations like Hot 97, they wouldn't play because Puff Daddy at the time was dominating the radio station. And I don't know how true it is, but they said there was payola going on, you know, and they controlled the stations. Yo, 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 yo. We're here. I go by the name of Drenstar. I was born and raised in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You know, we provided four or five hours of just nonstop raw hip-hop that people were just fiending for at the time. Where they didn't have to buy a mixtape and they didn't have to go running around. They could just be wherever they were at, in the park, in the barbershop. We had a lot of barbershops. That's all the talk of the town goes on. You know, that's where we got a lot of love. Where you calling from? Brooklyn, baby. Brooklyn? No doubt. I hold it down, baby. No doubt. Peace. Love, shout out to everybody in Brooklyn. Big shout out to the Nappy Dugout Barbershop, too. Now, man, load up. Don't forget to check out exclusive cuts. WBAD was able to stay on the air for three years, from 1995 to 98, before the FCC shut them down. During that time, the numbers of pirate broadcasters spiked, spreading out along the FM dial. And another rule went out the window. Never interfere with a pirate who had their frequency first. It got to the point where DJ Syntronics would routinely go out before WBAD's Sunday night broadcast to make sure that 91.9 was in the clear. He called it Killing the Bugs. There would be times we would broadcast and then you would get like a station, you know, they knew we were broadcasting at that time. We had a situation one time that they broadcasted over us. And that was a total disrespect because we took pride in what we did. So we knew who these guys were. And, you know, we were like the FCC. We had a tracker and we tracked them down and I made them shut it off. And they actually did. After that, they never did that again. And we had a situation also, I believe, somewhere in downtown Brooklyn where they wouldn't shut it off. And we said, hey, you know, this is our time slot. What are you doing? You know, you can't broadcast over us. He, He told us, screw you. So we went up and we tracked them because we had the tracker and we cut their wires. <laughs> Launch of the big station, NYC, baby. Watch it. Hear what she tell me. Hear what she tell me. Many of the new pirates were located in the large West Indian communities in Brooklyn and suburban New Jersey. DJ D-Life from Trinidad was on Big Radio in New York and Mix 96 in Miami. There was no mainstream radio station giving you Caribbean music on a mainstream level. If you could get the transmitter and you could set it up, why not do it? The transmitters became 
easier to acquire and you started hearing all these different pop-up stations. If you're in your car right now, I want you to blow your horn and sing it. Sing with me. Sweet music, baby. Sweet music. Alenia, feel the vibe. Feel the vibe. Let me go. Being down there in the studio, you know, summertime when it's hot and there's no AC, we just have the fans going. Sometimes I'm in there by myself, I would have to take my shirt off. It's hot, but the energy and you go in and the vibes. Underground radio, that's what we would call it. You know, being popular in the backyard parties and all the West Indian parties, it was only Sanam that they would approach. And, you know, when they approached, there was no hesitation because we didn't think then it was something illegal. You would just look at it as, I get to be on the air, and you're excited. You just went with it. The rapidly expanding Caribbean pirate scene ran in parallel and somewhat apart from a new wave of low-power unlicensed stations calling themselves microcasters. They were a loose-knit, cross-country movement of about 1,000 community-focused stations, often with a progressive political or artistic bent, conducting a kind of mass civil disobedience. The history is that in 1978, the FCC stopped granting licenses for new, small FM broadcasting. Christina Dunbar-Hester is a professor at the University of Southern California and the author of Low Power to the People. There was a class of license called Class D that was a 10-watt designation, so really pretty small, that if you were a school or a religious organization or a community group, you used to be able to get those. And then in 1978, the FCC stopped issuing them and actually encouraged a number of them to either go off the air or boost their signal. So the really small-scale broadcasting landscape became more of a desert in the 1980s, and there was no possibility to get a license if you wanted one. After a series of skirmishes in the courts, the microcasters finally pushed the FCC towards creating a new low-power FM service, LPFM. It took years to implement due to resistance from the broadcast industry. Once in place, this regulatory innovation left out big cities like New York due to spacing requirements on an already crowded dial. With no other options, the immigrant-focused pirates continued to spill on the FM, causing increasing amounts of interference to licensed stations. Ken Friedman is the general manager of WFMU, an eclectic, non-commercial station in Jersey City. In one case, I filed a complaint about a uh, pirate outside of Newark, New Jersey, that was broadcasting at the same frequency as our 90.1 FM upstate New York station. Roadblock radio. Absolutely. New Jersey's own Caribbean And it was operating not only as a pirate using the non-commercial band, but they were operating commercially and they were selling ads, and it was a very long-running operation. It was a pirate radio station on the non-commercial band that was running as a commercial business with impunity for years. And I had my FCC lawyer file a complaint to make sure I did it right because I felt like I had all the information on them. They were being so brazen about what they were doing in terms of giving out mailing addresses and phone numbers and website addresses and email addresses. And we filed a complaint, and then we found out that 
the FCC already knew about them, that the FCC had already received numerous complaints about the same station and they had yet to take any action. And that station is still on the air. As the pirates multiplied during the 90s, the FCC Enforcement Bureau suffered a series of budget cuts and they've struggled to keep up. Though fines are issued and stations occasionally shut down, much of the pirate activity has gone largely unchecked for the past 20 years. Some stations sound good. Others struggle to keep it together. Unattended computers feed the program to the transmitter while their operators are at their day jobs or at home with their families. Sometimes their automation system just stays stuck on something. Local broadcaster and listener Joan Martinez. There are times where I will listen in and I will hear it and I'm just like, really guys? Under the Trump administration, the FCC has been getting tougher on pirate activity, citing concerns for public safety. Aside from causing interference to license stations, pirate radio opponents claim that the stations cause problems ranging from stray radio frequency radiation in the apartment buildings where they operate to potential interference with police communications and air traffic control frequencies. I think, frankly, for enforcement purposes, what really makes a difference is the kind of thing that the commission is doing right now. FCC Enforcement Chief Rosemary Harold. We're doing concentrated actions. We're trying our best to make sure that people understand what we're doing and that we're doing it. We're going after folks who have been found to be illegally operating stations before and going after them again so that the message gets out through the pirate community, through other means that we're serious. And just because we've caught you once doesn't mean we're not going to come circling back to see if you're still doing it again. To get a license from FCC, you know how much money is going to cost you. We're not selling drugs. We're not doing anything illegal. Where are we going to get that money from? And they will never provide us a free air. Yes or no? They will never. FCC came to us. They shut us down too. But thanks God, we moved to another place. So like we were shut down like for months to look for a basement. This is what we could afford. We're going to get an apartment. So... Were you there one of the times when people came by? The last time they came, I was there. It was like two or four of us were there. We just sat down there talking about politics, making jokes at each other. Then we had somebody knocking at the door, and three persons came. They presented themselves. They said, look, we're coming from FCC. We know there's a radio there. Then we denied it. We denied it. And one of them said, guys, listen. We know the video is there, and the video is on right now. Do us a favor, turn it off. So we told him, okay, no problem. He said, look, we're not going to give you any fine. We're not going to seize anything. We just want you to shut it down and take your antenna down, which we did, because we have to respect the law. But they don't come very often, you know? When former President Obama was in power, we had a good break. But since the new president came over, everybody's running every two weeks now. <laughs> Despite the current crackdown, the number of stations has more or less held steady, and some have been on for decades. It doesn't cost that much to go back on the air if their equipment is confiscated. But legislation is in the works to put more pressure on the pirates. The Pirate Act stands for Preventing Illegal Radio Abuse Through Enforcement. Media scholar and pirate radio historian John Anderson. 
it would increase the amount that the Federal Communications Commission could fine someone for operating an unlicensed station. Right now, that caps out at about $100,000. The Pirate Act would raise that ceiling to $2 million. The second thing that the Pirate Act would do is basically condense the protocol for penalizing an unlicensed broadcaster. Right now, you have to go out and visit, then you have to send them a warning letter, and then you go out and visit again, then you threaten to fine them, then you visit them again, then you fine them, then after that, you visit them again, and then you raid them. <laughs> you know, and the whole process kind of starts all over. The Pirate Act basically says if the FCC can confirm that a station is operating in real time in an unlicensed way, you can kind of skip the warning process and go straight to a potential forfeiture. Even with this whirlwind of enforcement activity, some wonder who is still really listening to the pirates on the radio. The story I'm working on is about stations that people set up on top of apartment buildings. They do. They're not yeah. able to do it. Like the college ones does. I don't, and I want to tell you one thing, I don't give a f have a good day. <laughs> pirate radio don't have the streets anymore. Early Caribbean pirate radio broadcaster, DJ D-Life. Music is so easily accessed elsewhere. SoundCloud, YouTube, you can get it anywhere. Almost all of the pirates stream online or can be dialed up via cell phones. So it's an open question as to why they continue to take the risk. The answer may be in the cheap availability of radios and the ease of use for poor and elderly listeners in the pirate radio communities. Escuchando la mejor. At the station I'm calling Radio Activista, they stream online and claim an audience of 50,000 daily from around the world, but they don't want to give up broadcasting over the air. What we're bringing to the table is something 100% clear in our conscience, giving back to our community with the current events from X, Y, and Z, public safety, to the good music from back in the days where that's all we had. We didn't have nothing else. We had a plate of white rice with two scrambled eggs because we couldn't even afford to even buy a piece of chicken from the grocery store. That's how bad it was for us. And this radio station that we're providing to our local community is the only thing that we can give back to them. A little bit of love, a little bit of passion, and a little bit of the Caribbean music to make them at least feel good before they hit the tombstone and pass away. Because most of these people are in their 70s and 80s they are the ones that are listening to our radio station. They can call us pirate or official, whatever it is, but we are still a family that will be continuing to provide that service for this community. At least the authorities coming with another solution to fixing this situation. They're they, they doing it, so maybe we will think about it again. Until today, we're not ashamed of what we're doing it, and we'll be continuing to do it until God's give us the opportunity to do it. That's for sure. You've been listening to New York City's Pirates of the Air on the BBC World Service. I'm David Gorin. Thank you for listening. There will be more from the documentary podcast soon. If you haven't already, please do subscribe. And don't forget, do try our other BBC World Service podcasts too.